Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Perception is Reality, where we like to dispel common misconceptions people might have and explore each other's view of reality. Uh, joining me today from the very warm state, uh, not contingent of the United States, but still an incredibly large and important state, Alaska, Chef Mitchell Howell. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thank and you. Um, I chose a topic that I think will resonate well, and that is chefs make horrible role models and food network is the biggest disgrace to the kitchen industry. Chefs make horrible role models. Uh, I'm just going to add up here. So chef makes chefs, chefs, plural, make horrible role models. Thanks to Gordon Ramsay, personality TV chef, who's a schmuck. Something like that. Is that what you said? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, thanks to, I'll just say reality TV. Yes. Okay. Um, cool. So, uh, as you may notice by the introduction, everybody, um, Mitchell's a chef. Uh, so, and he's taking on Alaska by storm creating awesome things. I, I don't actually know this because we just met. So I'm just assuming because I assume all my guests are awesome by default until proven <laughs> otherwise. Uh, so no pressure there, Mitchell. Um, can you advise everybody? I, you host a podcast, so tell them what it is and where they can find you. Yes. Um, I host a new podcast called the 49th meal. It's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the major networks and it's uh, I go around and talk to different food and beverage makers, uh, some chefs, and just kind of talk to them about their story of starting a business in Alaska, why they are crazy enough to do it, and the unique challenges and advantages they have to be in somewhere so remote. That actually sounds incredibly interesting because the only the only thing that I know about Alaska, and and this isn't going to be about Alaska, but I just need to share with you what I know about Alaska. Um, I know what the History Channel or the Discovery Channel, like documentaries. Um, I don't watch any of the um, like reality TV shows. I think there's one like with, uh, I don't know, I feel like I've seen a commercial about just these crazy people that live in the middle of nowhere. Um, um, yeah, the Discovery yeah. Channel's one that's a total lie. They actually live like 10 minutes outside of town. Which in Alaska, 10 minutes could be pretty cruel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't watch that stuff. But I mean, like, uh, I like to watch the shows in the glaciers, like the historical documentary. So that's all I know really about Alaska. And from friends that have been, I have um, a coworker who goes to Alaska every year uh, fishing and hunting. They rent a couple cabins and uh, they have a story about how uh, it's two brothers that go. And the one brother, their sons have reached age of hunting. And the one, you know, the one brother comes back. They're at the main cabin. Uh, there's like several cabins. The one brother comes back 
you know, it's nighttime. His son is in the cabin. It's day there, and all, you know, they're they're getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden, they hear this rustling outside. Um, and the uh, long story short, this grizzly bear decided to separate the bathroom part of the cabin from the rest of the cabin, and literally <laughs> tore the tore the bathroom part off off the the cabin. As it turns out, um, you're not allowed to have food in any of the cabins that are not the main cabin. Because you go to the one main cabin, that's where all the food is. They do it there. That's where the cafeteria is. It's a different kind of building um, that is apparently more secure. Well, his son had brought beef jerky because he didn't think it was food. Oh, no. So, yeah, that was. So those are the things that I know about Alaska. So, um but I imagine that your podcast is, and the reason I say all that is because I imagine your podcast is quite interesting because you're you're delving into like why people would be up there and what they're doing, and, and uh, I mean, well, you're a chef, so I mean, you're you're running a restaurant, right? I mean, getting stuff yeah, done. yeah. It was actually really interesting because I started out in the lower 48s, my cooking career, and I thought we had some logistical challenges down there, and I got up here and. It takes pretty much two weeks for anything to get shipped up here from uh, the major companies. So it was like kind of a, whoa, okay, we can't just run down the road and have FSA or Cisco deliver us something every day that we need. So that kind of got me started. And a lot of people asking me, because I I worked a summer on the uh, Alaska Railroad as a dining manager. And a lot of people were asking me about different food things and it kind of piqued my interest in it even more. And so I just decided, and I couldn't find a podcast based out of Alaska that I liked. So I was like, you know what? Screw this. I have enough time. I'm going to make my own. That's how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Uh, It's not being done. Find the hole and fill it. Find the need and fill it. Uh, Well, congratulations on all of that. Um, I would like to delve right in because one thing that I do know a lot about is reality cooking shows. Um, I love the cooking channel. I love all things cooking, um, baking, you name it, bake. I I watch the Great British Bake Off with my daughter. That's like our thing Um, with both kids when they're home from college. Like we will um, watch America's Test Kitchen, you name it. Like we're all about like that, that stuff. So I'm I, and we have watched Hell's Kitchen and, uh, you know, with Gordon, we've watched the 24-hour makeover shows with the big muscular dude, whatever his name. He was just disgraced. Robert Irving. <laughs> yeah, and now he's back. So, like, you know, and then, like, our favorites, though, are anything involving Bobby Flay, like Beat Bobby Flay, no. Iron Chef, <laughs> like, I mean – so oh, Bobby Flay. <laughs> I mean, he's he's the the golden standard of the cooking show industry. I'm not saying golden yes, standard no, of chefs. I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. He's he he's a marketing genius, and he's set himself up very well. Yeah, because I'll be I'll be. Um, this is a full disclosure podcast, Mitchell. So I'm not setting up for anything. But like, I have dined, I've traveled in my life, and I have dined at a few of his restaurants. I've dined at you know a lot of those places, not because. I wanted to go, but because I've taken clients or coworkers or whatever, I prefer to find the mom and pop ones that are just off the radar that have a lot of like good reviews. That's where I tend to want to go, but nobody ever wants to go there with me. Um, but I've not, I, I mean, I went to a couple of Bobby Flay restaurants and I'll say that it's, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, no, his food's good. I've ate at a couple. Um, 
I had the chance a few years ago uh, to eat at one, uh, Gordon Ramsay's London of New York. And their food's amazing. Like, Gordon Ramsay's food was amazing. But it's just chefs are we're kind of the oddballs, the outcasts. We cuss. We swear. We make jokes that aren't always appropriate to deal with the rush. And then you put them on TV. And they're these proper and prim little golden boys and it's like no that's not that's not what a real kitchen is so then we get all these new new kids coming into the kitchen thinking that's what it's going to be like and they get slapped into reality of no that's not how the kitchen is yeah my um my nephew kyle's actually a chef and he went to the one of culinary schools in new york city is where he trained and, and got his uh, is it a degree or a certificate? Whatever it is. And, I think uh, they have both. <laughs> yeah. they Well, whatever he's got, he's got it. And, you know, he when he graduated, got out, and he spent some time in kitchens, and he'll talk about it. And he's like, everybody's tattooed. Not that they're not, – I'm not, I'm not – I'm that I also have an episode about being tattooed and the misconceptions about just because you have a tattoo. But I'm just saying, like, people have tattoos. They're loud. They're crazy. The music's playing. Like, depending on what – depending on what restaurant it is and who the head chef is, you know, the music is usually picked by the head chef um, or the chef on duty. And, you know, it's like total chaos. And yes. <laughs> in my youth, my, my, in my youth, I spent a lot of time in a kitchen. I worked at three restaurants at the same time. Um, I was a server at one or a waiter at one, a buster at the other and a dishwasher uh, and the other one, and I wanted to be online, and you know, like the chefs would teach me stuff. Like when they had a slow time, they would, you know, because they were bored, we're all bored. Like, you know, so it was very. I learned a lot, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely say that from what I've see, witnessed, and from what my nephew describes, and what you're going to tell us in a moment, I. I don't necessarily think, though, that I think the um, prim and properness is portrayed, unless we're talking Bobby Flay, like beat Bobby Flay or Iron Chef. I mean, because there's not a whole lot of talking during those scenes. There's some smack talk on like beat Bobby Flay. So what you're saying is put those people in a real kitchen and like, uh, what's it, Mr. Hyde comes out? Yeah, uh, very much chefs are very Jacqueline Hyde. And see, my problem, like, one of the big problems is, is, like, one of my favorite shows I, I love to watch is Chopped. Yes, yes. How and, can I not mention Chopped? But it's so, they, they hype it up to the point where it's so unrealistic because I don't care what chef you have. You cannot give them no heads up. They, they know at least an idea of what's going to be in those mystery baskets. A okay. half hour to cook a, a dish that you know what you have is hard enough but yet they're showing showing it as if they're literally walking into a room opening up a basket and creating a five-star plate it's like no any chef that you just drop something in the lap first thing they're going to do is drop a major f-bomb and then they're going to go through about 20 i lost you So, if you're listening, 
Mitchell is in Alaska and apparently internet access in Alaska can be a little sketchy. Um, so he did warn, warn me. So we all know on this podcast that, uh, you know, life happens. So we're just going to roll with it because there he is. The man, the myth, the legend is back. Is he? There he yep, is. I'm back. Sorry about that. No, I was just explaining to everybody what you were telling me about Alaska and the green room and that, you know, internet's a little sketchy up there because apparently it takes two weeks for the uh, data to get up there too. Yes, we we just discovered AOL, you got mail. <laughs> Next year we'll we'll get up to uh, dial up broadband. Oh, that's, that's funny, but it's sad at the same <laughs> token. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty sad. I mean, Alaska... My perception of life is that Alaska is a legit state. I mean, it's a state, so why doesn't it have everything? It shouldn't. See, this is where the world of David is a little strange. Because, like, Alaska should have broadband just like we enjoy broadband. I mean, because Canada is a friendly country. We should be able to lay cable and fiber and all that crap from Vancouver up to Anchorage, and then from there it should spur out. Um, but I do know that fiber cables, major fiber cables go around and up there, but I just don't understand why it's not more widely distributed, but that, that's a conversation for another day. So welcome back. Um, so I think, and, and I know people, I personally know people that have been on reality TV shows and the reality TV shows are scripted. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, there's even a lot of the competitions, there's just no way and they they can do that stuff off the cuff and it's like you're you're brainwashing all these kids that this is what what being a chef's going to be all about and it's a very rough and tough life and they think they're going to come in work nine to five put together a few dishes and go home and it's like no that's far from the reality of it well that is incredibly naive if anybody thinks that, because I mean, if you think about the meals, right? So, I mean, there's a couple, there's, there's what I perceive to be like two types of restaurants and I'm going to overgeneralize to make the point. There's your breakfast restaurants that open early, they serve up to lunch and then they're done. Then there's the other restaurants. Well, there's, I guess there's three types. There's the ones that open up for lunch. They do a lunch service and a dinner service. They're done. And then there's the ones that are pretty much just a dinner service. Um, they do a couple platings or three or four platings a night if they can. Um, uh, what do you guys call those rotations when you get like um, seating? The turns. Yeah. So, um, right. Am I getting close on that? From what yeah, I know that that's a really good breakdown of it. Um, kind of got your, just your diners, your early breakfast ones, then your general restaurants that the public really knows about. Those are your ones, lunch and dinner. And then you have the high end side, which is your dinner only places. Yeah, and those, those just, I mean, just from what I would think, like, um, I guess maybe I, I can't consider myself to be gen pop because I did work <laughs> in the restaurant industry as a, as a child. I mean, I was a teenager. So, I mean, I know what that's like. Uh, so, I guess I've seen it. And the chefs were always the uh, most tired people in the restaurants. We love live off of nicotine, alcohol, and caffeine. Actually, I don't want to stereotype, but I'm trying to think if I've ever seen or known a chef that doesn't smoke. So, <laughs> kind of a funny story on that. I actually, when I first started in the kitchens almost 
10 years ago, was not a big smoker. I, I chewed once in a while, a uh, habit I picked up from the Navy, but for the most part I wasn't. But I learned real quick, the only time you get a, any type of break on the line is for a smoke break. Mm. And I changed that habit from chewing to now I vape, but I changed that habit real quick because that five minutes to go outside and smoke is about your only sanity you might get for a night. Can you describe what it's like to run through? First of all, set the, set the, set, can you set the expectation? Like, how would you classify the restaurant that you're currently in right now? And the, and the, uh, the one I'm in right now, we're brand new opening. And it is just pure chaos. Controlled chaos is the best way to describe it. Because what? we're still building a new menu. And a lot of owners, when they open up, We'll uh -huh. have a set menu, and then if a customer requests something, an owner's not going to say no to money. So they'll tell you to drop everything on the fly to make this dish. And that's common with a lot of restaurants I've been in that are not in the corporate world. Yeah, I can I can see that. Um, and I've done that. I, I'm, not, I'm guilty of asking for stuff, but when I do, it's usually during – um, a slow period and I've established a relationship with the chef personally or the owner or both or um, sometimes it's most likely it's a chef on a restaurant and I'm like hey remember that thing you made me that one time they're like yeah you know <laughs> and I'm like any chance that's you know back there and they're like fine but oh I, I know not to ask because if I'm sitting in a full dining room I mean, asking for something special, I feel like, is throwing a nuclear bomb back there. You would be surprised how many people still do that, and especially the rise of, and I'm doing air quotes as I say this, influencers. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they'll come in and they just want, think that they're the hottest thing since sliced bread, and they will ask for special off-menu items in the middle of 6.30 dinner rush. And of course the owners, you know, they're, the owners wanna say yes and do this and us chefs are telling them to go fuck themselves because we already have 40 tickets up on the rail. And well, we don't, we don't care about your Instagram, your Yelp. Yeah, I, but I can and understand not, the pressure from the owner, right? Not, you might give the owner some exposure, but us as the line guy, You're breaking up a little bit for us, Mitchell. There you, I think. You might be back, yeah. Okay, let me see. There we go. All right. Um, look, are you wearing your tinfoil hat nope. like we talked Hold about on. to get extra signal? <laughs> Even even got one finger on my nose and the other pointed to the window. <laughs> uh, so do you have time for a quick funny story? Yeah. So I work in telecommunications and IT, and we were doing an expansion in Nigeria. And uh, we had these two guys out there doing some stuff. And to get signal, 
they had to take it was only by satellite so the one guy had to was literally hanging out the window and the other guy was holding him by his feet that's a lot of trust <laughs> oh yeah that's that's definitely a lot of trust and i mean anybody who knows true satellite communication really you have to really get the you have to get the azimuth right and you have to get there's other technical terms going on but we didn't send technicians these were just the sales guys and they were messing around with what we already had to try to get better signal and then they ended up breaking it but uh, yeah so imagine those two idiots with one out the i i think there's a picture floating around of that somewhere but i can't post it because they would need their permission but anyway welcome back so um your restaurant so what what i was saying is that the influencers really kind of hold have a restaurant tour uh by in by the palm of their hand because a negative review can be very hurtful and it can be malicious meaning like um let's just say i i'm assuming you're at the high end um restaurant you're only open for for dinner and they come in and they want um an, an omelet now you can do an omelet but that's not oh. on the menu for dinner right i mean so yep. what do you how do you handle that how do you handle that restaurant that that in air quote influencer because you know the minute that they or the rest or, or the critic or the whatever because you know the minute you say no they're gonna badmouth you just because they can't there's no, what, so, repercussions, what the, repercussions do we have? The, the reality of it is the, the chef, if he's not knee deep in it, that's when we start negotiating for shift drinks hmm. with the owner. Yeah, no, we'll make your omelet, but we get an extra shot tonight. And because a lot of places that are not corporate mom and pop places, you get at the end of the night, you, the, the line normally gets a shift drink. We, we can have a beer, we can have a cocktail, whatever, shot. And if it's special requests like that, then yeah, if it's gonna inconvenience me, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get what I can out of it. And it, it's kind of a pull between because we understand what the owner's going through. And I can tell you one thing, when I get to hell, the first person I'm gonna find, well, the first person I'm gonna find and kick in the nuts is the person that said, the customer's always right. The second one is the inventor of Yelp. <laughs> oh, Yelp is so horrible. I don't even oh, use Yelp anymore. It, Yelp is nothing but extortion. Oh, it really is. I mean, people don't, I, I, I actually know the Yelp business model pretty well and how they do things. It actually is extortion. Yes. If you, if you pay their fees and everything, your reviews get moved down. Uh-huh. No, it's true. Um, that's why I don't use Yelp, but I mean, I really don't. I refuse to. <laughs> so, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, I have sympathy for. Oh, I, I mean, I have sympathy for owners and I just wish for owners and I just wish. Yeah, fourteen to fifteen. You're you're breaking up. We're getting not much. 
So those of us in the United States, I want you to just think about this. Like this, this, this poor guy, Mitchell, is trying to get broadband internet. He's in Alaska. That's a, it's a freaking state and he can't get like what we were, we take for granted. Okay. You hear me now? Yes. I was just explaining. Okay. Well, don't worry about it. Go ahead. <laughs> but no, um, you know, one thing that people don't take into consideration is the skill of being able to have a good mise en place in place. That's your, everything's ready to go, all your prep work. And that's something they don't show you a lot on TV is, yeah, you might see the chef chop up an onion, but I guarantee under his table, there's a whole cambro of chopped onions. And that's where when people come in with special requests and everything, it throws all of that off. And that's where your chefs and your line dogs start getting pissed. Hmm. So on a different note, like how, and, and I'm asking this because I have, I have a lot of food allergies. Most of them are all seafood based. Um, like I'm straight up legit EpiPen allergic to anything that comes out of the water, except for like kelp. I think I can actually eat the kelp, but I've tried everything I can't. So when we go to a restaurant that has a lot of seafood and I mentioned that, is that like, am I a big pain in the butt? Like, is everybody like, oh, son of a bitch. And then do people not believe me back there? Unfortunately, now, well, seafood allergies, the main eight allergens, most of us are pretty okay with. Um, it, it does get stressful as a chef if you're allergic to seafood and you go into a seafood house. Obviously, we try to do everything we can to stop cross-contamination. Mm -hmm. But the reality is a spatula might get used on something else. We Obviously, we try to watch that. But when you're 100 tickets in deep, sometimes stuff happens. But the main allergens we're okay with, that's the goddamn everybody is not allergic to gluten. You are not going to die from gluten. There's <laughs> a very small percentage that have celiac disease. And the ones that legitimately do... We will bend over backwards to make sure everything's good for them. If you say you're gluten allergic to gluten and then order the chocolate cake, I'm going to shove that chocolate cake up your ass. <laughs> that's epic. Um, <laughs> that's funny because, I mean, you're hitting home because we're gluten-free, but we don't ever say that we're gluten-free to, to the wait staff because whatever we order, we just don't – We we're not gluten cross-contamination sensitive, like, but my daughter is kind of, but she's not celiac. Um, but, you know, we just removed, like, if we order a burger, guess what's happening? We're taking the bun, and we know that there's probably breadcrumbs in the burger, and we're good. We don't care. We're not, we're not that bad. Yeah, um, no, and a lot of times, you know, if you tell your server, I'm gluten intolerant, or I'm trying to be gluten-free, your server should be going out of their way to help you. It's when you use that word allergen. Because as soon as that comes into the kitchen, that's a whole nother ball game for us. We have to take that deadly serious. Oh, yeah. Trust me. And, I, I have two <laughs> EpiPens. One's on me and one's on my wife at all times. Yeah. So and, and the whole gluten thing is just the bane of our existence in the kitchen right now. Oh, that's so funny to talk about because we are gluten-free. We, Like I said, we really don't mention it because we know what we're doing and like if there's I'm the only, I'm technically, it's just my wife and daughter that are gluten-free. My son and I aren't. So if like they order, like if we order a salad or something, 
you know what that means for me? Extra croutons. Yep. Well, so. and it's so funny because people, and that's kind of one way we know if somebody's full of it. Like you said, you're allergic to anything that comes out of the water. You're not going to come in and ask if the shrimp pasta has seafood in it. <laughs> when people no. that are gluten-free will come in, or, or gluten allergy, not gluten-free, but gluten allergy, they'll come in and ask about every single dish. No, if you have a life-threatening allergen, you kind of know what you can and can't eat long before you come in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. We, we do. Because, like, for example, like, um, I used to go to trade shows in Vegas all the time. And one of the clients that we used to have to take out used to love this restaurant called Koi. So I used to have to take <laughs> him to Koi. Well, you know what Koi is? Koi is a seafood restaurant. There's quite literally no item on the menu that doesn't contain seafood so what i did was i called ahead um whenever we went i think we went two or three times so at least twice but i always called ahead because I'm, I'm like i'll make the reservation i always called ahead i always warned the person that you know that we were coming that i exist in life um because uh once i went to a joe's crab shack uh this is kind of a funny story hope you have a second but yeah, uh, my son Max was like 12 or 13 and he saw a commercial for lobster and he's like oh that looks really good how come we've never had it and I'm like oh, I'm allergic to it and I'm like oh sh shoot I'm a bad father you've never even had it I don't know if you're allergic I mean we've never even thought about it so we took him to Joe's Crab Shack oh in the restaurant um, just from you know how when you're at a table you lean your forearms against the table yep like I just leaned my forearms against the table and they started turning bright red Oh, um, I mean, you know, it's a Joe's Crab Shack. I mean, no offense to Joe's Crab Shack, but you got teenagers working. I'm sure they didn't clean the table very well. And what they did, it's just all that oil. It's the oils I'm allergic to. So all that oil doesn't really get dissipated in the, in the cleaning solution. It just gets spread around. So then, like, during the, the meal, like, Max's love oh, and life. Come on. Oh, Mitchell must have dropped again. Oh, I'm back now. There you are. So d during the meal... <laughs> Max was like love and life. And then I'm like starting to like, like, I'm like, um, honey, I need to go outside. <laughs> so that's why I call ahead of Koi. And like, they actually have a sister restaurant um, in the same establishment that that's like a more normal type beef restaurant. So they have that kitchen, make my meal, and then they bring it over. Yeah. See, most chefs, I mean, as long as you give them heads up, They'll bend over backwards to make your dining experience because one thing people don't, they, another thing on TV, they show like chefs being rich and stuff. No, we work for crap wages. And so our only real pride and joy takeaway from it is knowing that we're giving somebody a great dining experience. So if you call ahead like that or, let, give us a heads up we'll bend over backwards to make sure you enjoy that dining experience yeah it's yeah. the last minute drop the bomb in our lap that we're like uh you can go piss off now because i'm not paid enough to care for this <laughs> that's actually true and i want to talk about that for a moment um so but i just want to finish that up is that that 
definitely I, I i get like you said and just so you know like spoiler alert you're right like we know our allergies we know those menus we're used to looking at all those ingredients we know what to avoid like when i'm out at a restaurant that has seafood in it i know exactly what dishes are cooked where and some over the years you know you you, you get taught certain things by certain personnel at, 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 you know like well this I know which restaurants are safe because they do like, well, the grill's over here and it doesn't really touch where the seafood is yeah. or like, or yeah, we'll just brush the grill down for you in case they're doing like, sometimes they'll grill like uh, shellfish or something on there. So I don't know what you all do. You guys know, but yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. Um, but I want to talk about that for a minute because TV chefs, TV chefs are rolling in it. Like Bobby Flay is like uber rich. And one thing that I learned in life, because younger David, that, that David I told you about, that worked in three restaurants, wanted desperately nothing more to be a pastry chef. <laughs> Pastries. Yep. I love to bake. Uh, it's not a secret. I do a lot of baking. Um, actually, I don't anymore because nobody in the family eats gluten, so I don't do it as much. But I mean, when a work event comes up, I'm baking something for work, you know. Um, but... I found out, so one evening, like um, where I was a server at the um, fine dining establishment and it's late and everybody booked and like the chef is just back there. He's by himself. He's cleaning up. All the dishes are done, but he's still cleaning up the kitchen because people don't understand how difficult it is to clean a kitchen. That's why you see people on Robert Irving show with disgusting kitchens and no business. Oh yeah. Um, it's, you got to remember, think about cooking Thanksgiving dinner at your house, how much cleanup that is. Now, times that by 100 people, seven nights a week. That's a lot of labor. I don't think people appreciate that. And so this, this, this poor guy, he was like my favorite chef that I, that I got to work with, um, and they hired him. He's so nice. Um, he was really nice. I mean, he did smoke. He drank a lot, uh, but he was a nice dude his car had broken down and he's like, I need a ride. He's like, can you give me a ride? Everybody else is gone. I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't mind. So I stayed to help him. We're talking and I told him about my dreams and aspirations. He's one of the guys that when it wasn't busy and I came in early to like set up, you know, fold napkins, put the silverware in the thing and do all that manual crap. Like, and he's there prepping because people don't understand like what you're saying about uh, chopping onions, celery and like what the, the carrots and like everything has to be prepped because I got news for you. If you're trying to cook that meal like that, it's going to take you an hour just to get your meal. And then you're going to, so he yeah, advised we live, me. We live and die off of our mise en place. Yeah. He advised me. He's like, you don't want to be a chef. He talked me out of becoming a chef. He's like, you don't want to do that. And then he told me how much chefs make. And then chefs do not participate in the tips you give your server. No, a lot of states now it's illegal even to uh, require the servers to tip out the chefs. They changed a lot of the laws that uh, like tip pools and stuff can no longer include anyone in the back of the house. It is an all volunteer system and most servers aren't willingly giving up their money. No, it's not. So that's why I wanted to make that point. Like you were talking about, um, chefs are not very well compensated. I mean, chefs that are well compensated, you usually aren't they like chef owner proprietor kind of people? Yeah, I think, I mean, 
when I first started as a uh, prep, I was making minimum wage is seven twenty five an hour, and even now with ten years experience, it's hard to get above fourteen fifteen dollars an hour and that's i i that's why culinary school to me is a very much a catch twenty two and mm-hmm. I advise a lot of people to go into the field before going to culinary school because you're coming out with I mean, I looked into a program at the AI and I would have been over $100,000 in debt. And I work alongside people that have been to culinary school and at most they're making a dollar more an hour than I am. And it's just, it's a dime. That's why I tell my son and me and him have a very, he's only six, but he loves to say he's my sous chef (laughs) because I cook with him as much as I can, but yeah scary because i love i have a passion for it but i don't want to see him go down that road because it's a dying industry i hate to say it but it's a dying industry there's no money to left to be made in it yeah maybe one out of 500 of us will open up a michelin star restaurant and make some money but the average person unless you have very strong connections there's no money to be made left in the field anymore why the for one the margins owners a lot of mom and pop owners aren't rolling in it either the price of everything goes up but we can only raise our prices on food so much that's why like the fight for 15 people it sounds good on paper but are you going to spend 24 dollars on a single hamburger because now i have to pay my dishwasher my cooks my servers everybody 15 dollars an hour when the reality of the situation is the owner is only probably making $2 a piece on that burger. Each burger they sell, they're lucky to bring in $2 on and they have to cover all their staff and everything. And it's just one of those things. The the money doesn't stretch far enough. So why do it? Oh, for me, mine was, I was working in the oil industry and then I got uh, laid off when the oil crashed and uh, a buddy of mine offered me a job on a food truck and I, I fell in love with it. It's like being an artist. You've got to be a little bit insane, a little bit crazy. And I enjoy the freedom of not having to conform to a normal nine to five job. Mm-hmm. I can still drop an F-bomb in the middle of work and nobody looks twice at it. And there is, if, if you're in the right kitchen, there's a deep sense of camaraderie. I mean, the kitchen rats, we're all in the trenches together day in, day out. And you, you develop that sense of camaraderie. And it's hard to just pack up and leave it when you're so used to doing something. That's true. We as humans, we really like what we're used to. Like we get in habits and we really like our, our, our comfort of being in that. But if you really like it and you have a passion for it, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean. Yeah. It's just one of those industries don't go into it thinking you're going to be rich or you're going to be the next food network star. It's like being a, I compare it a lot to being in a band When you start a band with your buddies yeah, yeah, you all in the back of your head have the dream of some record labels going to come in and sign you, and next week you're going on tour. But the reality of it is, it's probably not going to happen. 
and you do it a bit for fun and a bit to just because it's your comfort zone. The thought of me having to work behind a desk is scarier than going off to war. And that's saying something because if we all want to remember, he was in the Navy. <laughs> yes, I, I had my deployments, but it was, uh, yeah, just the thought of a regular nine to five desk job, just it's so boring because the kitchen is adrenaline filled. When those tickets are pumping in and you don't even know what where you're at on it, you're just flinging out plates. It, it's an adrenaline rush. You get, and you're competing with yourself, you're competing with your workmates. So it's like being on a football team or something. And it's hard to walk away from that because then you feel like, even if you don't like the owner, you feel like you're letting your, your chef down. You're letting all the chefs that have trained you through the years down. So it is really hard to walk away. It makes no sense until you've been knee deep in it. No, I, I, I'm glad you're describing it. Um, what else do you think is not realistic that TV portrays? Because, I mean, I mean, we haven't even – we're just talking about, you know, um, what are we talking about? Uh, reality TV. We haven't even touched on the Hallmark TV market. I mean, come on. Yeah, no. Um, you know, the thing is, the, the chefs you see on reality TV is they're – clean, respectable members of society. And being a chef, I can say a lot of us aren't. There's a lot of felons. There's a lot of drug addicts, ex-drug addicts. And it's it's a nitty gritty world. I mean, for anyone that's thinking about getting into it, just going in a lot of places have what they call a thing called uh, saging. And you work for free for a couple shifts Get your feet wet because it is nothing like reality TV. You're not going to have great knives. You're not going to have great equipment. The owner probably is already two months behind late on his rent. You think he's going to go buy you a $300 knife? No, you have a piece of shit that looks like a fancy butter knife, and you can't let any of that get in the way. We don't get to yell cut, stop for a minute and think about things. No, it's you're on your feet 12 hours a day minimum of just grinding away it is i'm only 32 and i have the body probably of a 60 year old just because you're you're on your knees grinding away i mean you're on your feet grinding away eats at your knees it's the most uncomfortable sweaty painful thing you'll ever do but if it's for you you'll love the shit out of it and then we'll drink a beer and make fun of reality tv shows together What's your least favorite reality TV show? Um, I, I, I know I'm going to catch some flack on this, but anything with Bobby Filet. I just hate Bobby Filet. <laughs> there's, there's two teams in the kitchen, Bobby Filet and fuck Bobby Filet. <laughs> Why don't you and like it's, him? It's just because he's just so purdy boy. And for one, he made brisket like a huge thing. And every chef hates brisket besides maybe a few barbecue guys. Uh, down it's in just, Texas, we live and die by brisket. I, yep, that's where I got my cooking start. I did uh, several years down in between San Antonio and San Angelo. Uh -huh. And I, I opened my own catering, and the first thing I really wanted was goddamn brisket. Yeah. It's just I hate brisket with a passion. 
And Bobby Flay was a very big – his restaurants were one of the big places that made brisket big. And he just want to punch him in the face. He just has such a pretty face. He just won't punch it. He doesn't come across as a real chef. Well, he's different than what you know as reality. Yes. <laughs> but we get to see TV chef Bobby Flay, but I'm sure when he's in the kitchen with his restaurant, I, you can see the look in his face sometimes. Like he really, I, I personally um, think that he censors himself a lot because uh, you can see like his facial expressions change and you know what, like he's thinking something different than what he's saying. See, now what's funny is on the exact opposite end of that is Gordon Ramsay. But I've actually known a few people that's worked at his restaurants. And they say his, him in the kitchen is 180 degrees from what we see on TV. People say actually that he's very patient, very teaching when he's in the kitchen. Compared to the maniac we see on TV. But my reality of working with chefs is more the maniac of them than the nice polite chefs because i mean i've had chefs call me some stuff that my daddy would be embarrassed to hear <laughs> and that's one thing too is you can't take anything in the kitchen personal and i can say my wife can testify on my behalf is i get very snappy under stress just because i'm so used to it in the kitchen that i can call somebody an ass eater in the middle of battle. And then once we're done through the rush, we're going to high five and joke like it never happened. And that's kind of that camaraderie we develop is there is no, nothing that is off limits during the rush. What is said during the rush does not count in real life. Well, if you know the rules of engagement prior to going in, then that's fine. <laughs> I guess that's why you do what you, that fancy word you used for volunteering. Uh, yep. Uh, Saging is a very big thing to do. And it sucks because you always get the shittiest job, but it gives you a chance to kind of stand back and look at the kitchen and like, is this going to be for me or not? Well, if you can't handle it doing the worst chore, then you can't handle it doing the best chore. I see. That's why I was really kind of, I've been really torn on the whole, I don't know if you've kept up with it, but the whole Mario Patelli thing. No, what's, what's uh, up with he that? Got brought he's, down. The, he's the guy that wears the Crocs, right? Yes. He got brought down in the whole hashtag Me Too movement. And, you know, I understand where people are coming from on that, but it, that old school of thinking of being in the kitchen for so many years that it's it's hard to adjust to all the new trends in society and that's why a desk job scares me because my mouth will get me in trouble in a corporate office yeah and it, it's sad to see because to me Botelli was one of the realest people on tv of showing the the dirty side of being in the kitchen and i'm not trying to defend the guy or excuse his behavior at all but that's kitchen reality. A lot of the accusations brought up against them for flirting with and groping a waitress or talking inappropriately to people in the kitchen. That's our kitchen reality every day 
And it's something a lot of the old school chefs are having to learn to change on because we're, we're so used to it. Misogyny. I won't say racism because I know a lot of kitchens won't put up with racism because we don't care if you're white, white, brown, blue, yellow. If you can cook, you can cook. But I mean, just misogyny, the good boys clubs, it, it's a reality in the kitchen. We all think we're God's gift to this earth when we're behind that line and in that jacket. And it might not be fair, but that's just kind of how the reality of the business runs. I don't know about the misogyny, but I do know about the racism. My nephew um, says that the kitchens are usually the most diverse places on the planet. And um, he often, they'll often tease each other uh, during the rush and like, you know, people, he, he teases people for their ethnicity and they tease him for being white just, you know, just as much. And um, yeah. he's like, afterward, he's like, we all, you know, it's just, you know, we pick on each other. Um, so yeah, see, he's, he's mentioned that about being worried about that. You know, he's like, I'm not, I'm not a racist, but yeah, we all, it's just what we all do. They pick on me. I pick on them. We just pick on each other. Oh yeah. Somebody that's, and that's why I mean, God bless the cooks that can do work in open kitchens because the, I think if the average Joe would hear a, a kitchen line during the rush, it would freak them out. They want to know if we're getting ready to fight or if we all just got out of prison. Which but, you said some people might have. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, though, is you develop that sense of family so you know where to draw the line you know what you can and can't joke about. And the the problem with kitchen and front of house people is we don't have that same bond and we're constantly at war. And that's where the problems come in because to us, we see somebody, a waiter, waitress, waiter, walk out with 150 bucks. We're like, what the fuck did you just do? You walked to a table and handed them a plate while we're scraping by at 10, 12 bucks an hour. And that's where the battle lines up and that's where a lot of chefs get themselves in trouble because waiters aren't used to our sense of humor all the time. So we'll crack a joke and it will be took the wrong way by the wait staff. And that's where the big problems come in. Yeah. My, my nephew always mentions that he, he, I, I mean, he's mere, he, he, he agrees with what you say because he's like, you know where the line is. He's like, we all, we it's superficial racial comments it's not anything like personal um yeah he's very clear about that they know the line um the line chefs so in an open kitchen the only thing that i would say that i think now after talking with you that would be really difficult would be the open kitchens that have the bar stools up there and you can sit and watch i think that would be incredibly yes. difficult because in the most places that I've been to with open kitchens, they separate you enough and then there's a glass wall there that you really can't hear what's going on. Yeah. The the chefs that can do a full open kitchen, I, I tip my hat to them because that is a whole nother world. And I, I personally don't think I could do it. Just because when, when I hit that chef mode, I cuss like a drunken sailor well i'm just gonna throw this out there but 
if you were to open your own restaurant and do an open um an open kitchen and you had the stools up there and you like that was part of how you themed your restaurant and people expected that coming in you'd probably sell a lot of food because i think people would find it amusing see you know what's you say that and there's one restaurant I've always worked next to and never worked at, and I so want to just one day, just even if it's for one day, I want to be a server, and that's uh, Dick's Last Resort. Yeah, that's, that's actually the one that I was thinking about. Like, yes, that if I was ever going to go back into the front of the house, that is where I would go. Because <laughs> I think that's about the only place I could work and not get in too much trouble. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's an, an interesting um, place. I don't that was, see where we're talking about uh, the reality TV thing. There is one show. I mean, I know I've knocked a lot of shows, but there is one show that I really do love. And to me, it gives you a sense of chefs and that's a uh, Netflix uh, chef's table. Oh, I've never watched that. I'll have to watch it. Yeah. It kind of goes more into the back story of the chefs. But I mean, granted, most of us will never do that type of food. That's all Michelin starred, hoity-toity food. But it to me, that one kind of gives you more of a sense of what a chef is. Interesting. How do you feel about, have you ever watched the show Below Deck? I have not. I've heard things about it, though, but I've never actually watched it on my own. I'm just wondering, like, how that, because um, th- typically those chefs have some choice words to say and there's a lot of fighting between the uh the front and back of the house and how they do their service and they take too long the food's cold or you know they don't say what the dish is properly and um people are always getting cut uh when they're doing prep work with the knives because knives are sharp if they're not sharp then slows things down Um, a a dull knife is actually the two most hazardous Injuries in a kitchen are from a mandolin and oh, a dull knife. Are evil. I, I feel like mandolins are just evil. Yes, I think that was some somebody's sick, sick sense of humor. So would that person be like the person that invented that, like third on your list to, to, to give a kick to? Probably. All right, oh, let's go with it. <laughs> but actually, and you know the thing is with all the uh, modern technology – you don't see a mandolin in kitchens a lot anymore. Just because, I mean, with a Roboku, we can slice the same thing without having to take half of our hand off with it. Yeah. Uh, those, uh, I've seen cheese graters and mandolins oh, do a lot you? of damage. You did. Yeah. Hello? Yep, you're back. Okay. Yeah, I've seen mandolins and cheese graters do a number of of jobs in home kitchens to people's hands. And, uh, you know, speaking of all of this stuff, for anyone that is still interested in becoming a chef, I do have one major piece of advice that I highly recommend. Travel. Get out of wherever you're from. Travel as much as you can and cook in many different styles of kitchens. Because you being down in Texas have a completely different expectation 
of even say something as simple as chicken fried steak than what we're people up here in Alaska are going to have. Oh, absolutely. And it's really cool. There, there's a lot of great websites and a lot of places to be able to travel seasonally. I mean, I did that for two years and just travel and work with as many real chefs as you can. What constitutes a real chef? A guy that's running the line every day. To me, culinary school doesn't make you any more of a chef than Jim Bob Joe that's been in the kitchen for 25 years. That's fair. I mean, they both both people would have learned skills. I mean, I see school as a way to just teach the skills. Um, and people graduate from those. They don't end up as head chefs. You don't just graduate from school and get a head chef job. <laughs> both nine out of 10 times, unless you know somebody, you end up on the same spot as everybody else and that's starting in the prep room and starting on the prep line. Granted, your path to moving up might be quicker because you already know the basics, but most kitchens, even with my years of experience, I walk in most places, you're either gonna put me on prep or it's gonna put me on a basic line position until they get to know me. Mm -hmm. And that's something, even with school, you can have a bachelor's degree in culinary arts. If you don't have the time in the kitchen, you're gonna start at the same place as the rest of us. Yeah, you gotta prove it. And in this case, literally, proof could be in the pudding. Hey, yes. that's the one time this saying actually works. <laughs> that is actually the first time I've heard that one, and I might have to steal it now. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know, I, I've always heard it my whole life. I'm only 47 or 48. I forget. I don't like to do math in public. But, um, <laughs> yeah, proof, proof, in, proof is in the pudding. Uh, maybe that's a Northeast thing. I have no idea. But... Uh, I heard the saying here and there, but actually the uh, whole that this is the first time it's real. Well, yeah. Yeah. For us, it is real. <laughs> yeah. That's the first time that like this saying actually makes sense. <laughs> I, like, for example, I remember the very first time that I could actually use the term. That's what she said, because that's actually what she said. Oh, that's what she said. The endless jokes of the kitchen. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many things can get turned sexual with. That's what she said in the kitchen. Well, I like to thank Michael Scott uh, for that, or Steve Carell. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely where my influence of that came from. So I, what else What else do you think we need to know that doesn't exist in TV world? Like, what, what other perceptions can you bust? Um, we talked about salaries, the thankless task that nobody up front shares with you, and they can actually in some states. Um, I think a big thing too is just the how dirty you will get working in a kitchen. Like you see them on TV, they got their nice white pretty jacket on, they're cooking for an hour, and that jacket is pristine afterwards. <laughs> that's adorable. No, you, you will get grease and dirt. Well, not so much dirt, but grease and grime and char in places you didn't even know they could get there and you don't even know how they got there. If you're working on the line, 
you are going to feel your first three months, you're going to feel like you're in puberty again because you're going to break out all over from all the grease. And you are going to go through, it's not uncommon to go through two or three chef coats in a night, depending on what type of place and where you work, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the line, it is just as dirty as construction work compared to nice, pristine. That's why everybody thinks the kitchen's so pristine. It's because we spend hours cleaning it. But it is dirty work. You got to remember, you're working on open flames. You're charring meat, vegetables. You got uh, deep fryers going next to you, everything else. It's, it's a very dirty work. That was probably one of the biggest things when I first got into the kitchen that caught me off guard is I think there's some days I came out cleaner in the oil fields than I did in the kitchen. Doesn't shock me. Um, I might shock some people, but it doesn't shock me because I mean, like I said, I, sp- I would stay late and help clean up the kitchen because um, it just felt bad. Oh, the other thing that he taught me, this, this one guy, um, and it's a shame I can't remember his name, but it was over 20 years ago. And in my defense, that's a long time. Um, but uh, like you said, I, he was like, if you really have a good meal, he's like, send a drink back or pay for a drink or something. And that's typically what I try to buy. Uh, depending on the restaurant, if I'm really pleased, like I'll send um, a bunch of beers back into the kitchen. Yes. And I guarantee you could, you set, you buy a round of beers for the kitchen you cannot come back in 10 years and then randomly walk back in there. And every cook, chef that was there, they are going to know who you are and they are going to take care of you. Those little acts of kindness make a huge difference for us, especially on nights that are absolutely crazy. And somebody will look to see what table it was and we'll make sure we take care of you on it. It, Probably not right then and there, but the next time you come in, I guarantee that dessert or that steak or something's going to have a little something extra. I never thought about it that way. Um, Or even, I never even thought about that they would even know or recognize that it was us. I'll have to think about that. Especially, and that's where a good sous chef or head chef comes in is they'll be able to spot the regulars and the good people and the troublemakers from a mile away before they you ever sit down to get a drink they'll they'll know exactly what's coming in on what table and a big thing is is always trust your chef if he says yeah they got a five dollar hamburger this time but he tells you to spruce it up you spruce it up because there's a reason that chef is doing that interesting and honestly, to us, at the end of the night, it don't. A server's front of house cares more about how much you spend than the back of the house. Honestly, we don't care if you're getting that fifty dollars steak or the five dollar hamburger. To us, it's all the same. We're not, we don't judge cheapskates, quote unquote, because to us, we got to cook it no matter how much you spend. Yeah, that's another thing. Like we just talked about that. So your salary is not dependent on that, but the server, their salary is. So, yes, and, and it, like the more you spend, the higher the tip is. They're still spending that time on you. So um, 
like my wife and I are notorious small eaters. So we'll, we'll split dishes. And I know that that's the bane of everybody's existence is like <laughs> splitting a dish, especially for the server. But I always make sure that um, I double the amount. Like if we ordered one plate and we split it, like I'm like, okay, if I would have ordered that, that would have cost this. And then I do that. And then I tip based on the doubled amount. Yeah, see, I, I've i started out in the front of the house a long, long time ago. And I used to be that guy that would get upset about that stuff. But now after working in the kitchen, I get it probably why people split dishes or stuff more than servers do because I'm not counting pennies to try to figure out what my tip's going to be. Well, quite frankly, I do that because I was a server. I think everybody at one point in their life needs to work in either service industry or retail. Oh, I agree. And when I think I it just makes you a, more of an aware person. When I interview people, I like to ask them. I do a lot of hiring. So when I, when I ask, I like to ask, have you ever worked in retail? Have you ever worked in uh, a kitchen or in retail or not a, a restaurant industry or retail? Because if they have, then they understand you learn a lot about humanity when you're serving somebody. Yes. Because I, people, people are not nice. People are self-righteous, self-indulged, not nice people. They're just not. I 110% agree with that. And, and people are very entitled, especially these days. I'm not going to be the typical and drop the whole millennial thing. Because I've seen it from 15-year-old kids and I've seen it from 80-year-old dudes. People are have a sense of entitlement. And even if it's their first time somewhere, they already in their head have a vision of how you're going to treat them. And if you don't do what they want, then what their vision in their head is, then it doesn't matter if that's the policies or not. You're, you're never going to win with them. No, you never will. They, you're you're already set up for failure. Um, that's so no. true. I mean, I see it because I like to when I'm out. I like to eavesdrop. My wife and I. It's one of the favorite things we like to do. We like to eavesdrop on other people's conversations, especially like when we're watching. Um, are they getting service? What they order? Like how long is it taking? Like I don't know. Well, this is just stuff that we do because we're dorks. Or well, I'm a dork, and then she just goes along with me because for some reason she loves me. I, I'll still have to figure that one out, but. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I like to do all that. Like last night we went out to last night. It was a restaurant that she really likes that I'm not that fond of, but she likes it. So we went there. Like I was craving chicken shawarma. She wanted a, a Cuban ropa vieja. So she, we went, we went to the, to that place. Um, like it took our server must've walked by. Well, not must've, I know because I counted cause I'm that idiot. He walked by five times, didn't make eye contact before we got a check. And then it took exactly 12 minutes for him to pick up the check. And he walked by eight times in that 12 minutes. See, that's, I, I get that because working in this industry has ruined me from going out to places. My wife will get on me because when we go out, I, I, I pick everything apart. I'm like, well, why is he not got waters over? Why is he just standing over there talking to somebody else? 
like, hello, we've been here 12 minutes. And especially the food. I am horrible about picking the food apart just because I cook every day. So I'm like, nope, this is overcooked. No, this is undercooked. Oh, this one's perfect, but these fries. Like, yeah, it's it's ruined me, especially I hate I cannot sit anywhere where I can see into the kitchen because then I just go into chef mode and start trying to pick everything apart from the outside. So I'm guilty as it just as much as anyone else is, if not more so. For the record, I only do that kind of stuff when I'm I'm getting bad service what i perceive as bad service and what i mean by bad service is i don't want somebody up my butt the whole time like sitting at the table but every once in a while like acknowledging i exist as a human being like i don't mind being asked hey how's the food um i don't mind you know like when they give the check i don't mean that they have to i have to have instant gratification but typically i yeah, i like two to, to they, two they to five wanna, minutes they want to turn the table over because they're going to get more tips, more, you know, like they want to turn the table over. I mean, but it's just a, a little bit silly. So let me, do you ever send food back as a chef? I, I try not to. And if I do, I usually try to ask to at least speak to the kitchen manager. I don't just give it to the server and send it back. And usually Usually I can square away with the kitchen manager pretty well. There was um, a recent incident I had at a pretty famous national chain that's known for their hamburgers and bottomless fries. I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And um, their, their hamburger said peppered bacon, a peppered bacon burger. So I got excited. I was like, yeah, I want that. Well, when they sent it out, it was two pieces of bacon with some table pepper on it. <laughs> Did not fly at all. That one I ended up sending back. And it was the kitchen manager, me and them kind of got into a little bit because they were trying to tell me that's pepper bacon. I'm like, ma'am, I'm a chef. I work in this industry. That's not pepper bacon. But that kind of ruined my experience with them. But, uh, for the most part, I try not to send food back because I know it. I know those guys are working their asses off and I can deal with it except for an overcooked steak. I will send that back to you every time. That's where I draw the line. An overcooked steak, I can't suck it up and deal with it. So you're a medium rare kind of guy? I like, I am a wipe the ass, cut the hooves and throw it on the plate. So you're like just just brown the outsides and then give it to me. That's pretty much yes, it. Yes, my either I order mine if first thing I do when I go into a steak place, I ask them if they know what Pittsburgh style is or black and blue. Yeah. If they say no, then I just go rare. But my a good steak to me is black and blue. I want it charred on the outside, stale mood on the inside. Interesting. So I have for two anybody questions. listening to this, if you get game meat. Or if you get anything like Wagyu, high-end beef, anything, please, please stop going above medium. Save yourself the extra $7 and just get a regular hamburger or a regular steak. After medium, it's not a personal taste preference. You cook out the, the game taste of anything. Or if it's like Wagyu burgers, I know they're ridiculously expensive. 
expensive, but after medium, you cook out all the fat that makes it special. Yeah. Sorry, just a disclosure from a guy that's dealt with it a lot. No, no, that's that's <laughs> that's a good PSA because people don't. I mean, I know that. I don't like my meat. I mean, I'm I'm a medium to a medium well. I, I you know somewhere in there I'm happy. I'm not really that picky. I'm good. You know, whatever. Yeah, medium medium's about as far as I like to go. Mid well is yeah pushing it and well done. I'm gonna stand there and judge you. <laughs> Just so you know, I am gonna stand there and judge you. That's and if that... you put ketchup on it, I'm gonna bring you a high chair. For what would well, I mean, burgers go with ketchup. Well, burgers, yes, with steaks. Oh, if you put ketchup on a steak, I will bring you a high chair and ask if you need a booster seat. Um, no, that's just a no no. I want to just go on the record saying that I agree with Mitchell. Like, if you order a steak and you're putting ketchup on it, you need to reevaluate your life choices. Yes, thank you. See, to me, I won't even. I get nervous if I walk into a restaurant, especially a steakhouse, if there's A1s or Hein 57 on the table, that to me right there is a big red flag. Because a good steak should not need a sauce on it. No, it a shouldn't. mediocre steak will need a sauce. Yes. But so that's kind of one of the first things that, that chef mode comes into me when I walk into a new place. If I'm seeing Heinz 57, A1. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you right there. My guard's already up. No, that's a fair statement. A, a well, a well seasoned and well prepared steak, not a burger. Steak should not need any sort of sauce on top of it. No, this is coming from a guy who I don't mind a Bernays sauce once in a while, um, but I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, Mitchell. If I see apuav on the menu, I'm like all in, like. <laughs> full like hands down i'm a sucker for like the 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 mixed peppercorn sauce or the just a straight up green peppercorn sauce like if it's got a peppercorn sauce like i just can't stop myself yeah no if there's reason for like if it's part of the dish and there's a sauce on it then that's totally cool i get that i understand that but like no your your 50 cent bottle of a1 no chef ever said you know what? I'm going to create a new dish that will go really good with A1. <laughs> Actually, there, well, there are chains well, burgers, that do that. There, there is burgers and stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, fair but enough. Most, most high-end chefs do not think of how this is going to pair with A1. Well, no, because, I mean, quite frankly, you should be able to cut that piece of meat. It should have flavor to it. It should have a certain amount of like moisture to it. It shouldn't be like dried out piece of leather. It, and, and if you're going well done, just order chicken. <laughs> just save us both time and just order chicken. <laughs> so there is true judgment for well done steaks. Yes, it is very true. And everybody will know. And especially, do not be those people. So, Another PSA, the restaurant closes at 9, have your ass in the seat by 8.30. Because by 8 o'clock, we already started breaking down. 8.30, we're finishing out the tickets. If you come in and you order a well-done steak, five minutes to close, we, we are going to hate you. We, we don't care what you do, just know the kitchen staff hates you. Yeah, that would be a considerable amount of time. 
I've seen it, and especially my my the vein of my existence is baseball cut steaks, like uh, sirloins or fillets that are mm-hmm. baseball cut. Mm-hmm. Bane of my existence as a chef because the only time you get a well done one of those is at the end of the day, at closing, and it's a regular, so you can't cheat and butterfly it. Because it's somebody that knows how it's supposed to be a round circle cut. And yeah, those people are the bane of my existence. Sorry, I know it kind of went off on my own little tangent there. No, that, that's <laughs> that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to, like, this is full disclosure podcast. Like, I went through, like, a well-done phase. Like, I didn't, a uh, medium well, well-done phase. But again i feel like i'm different than most people because i would say butterfly it i don't care like i would tell them to butterfly it i think my my worst story with well done um uh i was working in the oil fields the girl's dad she got me uh he got me a job in the oil fields and it took a couple months but we got break our r&r time at the same time and on my way home i stopped and i bought some beautiful they're about 80 bucks a piece tomahawk ribeyes. That's the one with the big bone in it. Yep, I'm with you. Everything in. Mm-hmm. Took it home, threw them on the grill for him, and I asked him how he wanted it done, and he said, well done. Never able to look at the man the same again. <laughs> I told him I'm cooking it to medium. Due to religious reasons, I can't cook it past that. What he does with it, I will stand and judge him. <laughs> and not going to lie. I had a lot of respect for the guy, and a decent chunk of it died to watch a tomahawk ribeye get cooked to well done. Yeah, that is a special cut. I mean, they're big down here in Texas. Like, that's a thing. Like, if you see yes. it on a menu or a special, like, that's a thing. Like, I've learned a lot about beef since I've been in Texas. And like, it's, it's you, you learn about these things. Uh, and a tomahawk, I didn't know, you know, tomahawk ribeye before. I mean, I've seen it, but I didn't know that it was called. But it's a thing, like, and it's a special thing. And there's the different kind of cows, like the restaurants down here, people don't, like, they will advertise what kind of cow it came from. Like, most people know, like, what you said, Wagyu or Angus. But, like, here we're like, oh, it's a Hereford special with, you know, that was aged and, like, like it's got the the kind of cow. Like, I'm surprised it's not, like, and this one's name was Daisy. And, you know, here it is on your table. Like, that's that's how, like, serious they take beef down here. Yes, it is. It is complete. Texas is its own culinary world. I, I will say that. Texas is its very own culinary world. It really is. I kind of like it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm, when we, we had to, we moved, we had to move here. Um, it wasn't really a choice uh, for work. So I was kind of like, you know, okay Losing with you it. Again. Oh, well, let me know. If, I'll continue yamming, yam, yammering on for a second. Um, but all right, I, I think I'm here. All right. So I, 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 my point is like when we first moved down here, I was kind of like miserable because I didn't get to pick. You know, I felt like somebody made the choice for me what they did. But now, after being here three years, I'm a Texas Kool-Aid salesperson. <laughs> See, I kind of had the opposite effect. When I first moved to Texas, I was so excited about it. And then it just kind of, for about the three to four year mark, it just kind of died off on me. 
And I was like, no, nah, I'm ready for something else. Yeah, but, but I'm it's... very, and, and that's one reason I do love being a chef is I'm very nomadic at heart. Yeah. So for me to pick up and go somewhere, even if it pays pennies, there's still, there's always somebody hiring for a chef somewhere. That's true. So how long are you going to be in Alaska? Uh, for the foreseeable future, because I think if I try to move again, my wife will murder me. Yeah, well, she'll be cooking up your ass all the time. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, and my she'll wife do... is very much a steady, likes, doesn't like change in the flow. And I'm like, hey, look, here's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, she'll cook you up well done just to spite you because she knows yes. you don't like well done. Yes, she will. If I ever disappear, probably cremated in an oven somewhere. <laughs> I like her already. She sounds fun. <laughs> um, well, we're close to time. So I just want to make sure, like, did we hit all the points you wanted to talk about? I mean, like, I learned a bunch of stuff. I mean, I have some exposure, probably like the norm normal person doesn't have, but I still learned a bunch of stuff. Um, oh, you, I didn't get to ask you, like, what do you think when somebody sends food back? Like, what's the reaction general back? Because my perception is like, I never send anything back, no matter how much I hate it, because I'm worried somebody's spitting in it. Um, yeah, that that's kind of a a tough one because I, I mean, any chef that I know, no, we do not spit in your food. We do not do anything like that because for one, anyone on the line will beat somebody's ass for that. Now, are we going to – some chefs will be childish and they'll send something out wrong again just because fuck you. Yeah. But for me, I get I get more south pissed off about it because obviously I messed something up. Or, you know, it, or we'll, we'll just laugh about it because you ordered something you didn't know what it was and you were trying to be cool. Oh, I could totally see somebody doing that. Yeah, so it kind of depends on the reason, but no, I mean, any respectable line cook, prep cook, even, nobody's going to spit in food or contaminate it like that because if, you know, even though we're not the owners, if that restaurant gets a bad reputation for something like that, it's going to taint everyone that works there. Yeah, it'll take all of you down. Plus, oh, yeah, it will so, impact your reputation too, won't it? It very much uh, where you've cooked and who you've cooked with can hurt or help you probably more than anything in the industry. Interesting. Especially when you get to, if you're in larger cities, mm -hmm. as yeah, who, who you're associated with can hurt or help you a hundred percent. So when I, I got my salad like a couple weeks ago, um, the cucumbers like we go to this place a lot the cucumbers are usually sliced in rounds and they're thin they're thin round slices um they came out in what i want to say like um somebody cut it like probably half an inch thick and then they they cut it into quarters okay so like what yeah they like yeah. Yeah. So, so that's not the complaint because I don't care. Cucumbers still taste the same, right? But my, my complaint was that the outside of the cucumbers had white fuzz all over it. 
See, that's a legit. Like, if somebody sends something back for something like that, all hell is gonna break loose all over that prep guy. So, because that means somebody wasn't paying attention and doing their job, and the kitchen is very much hierarchical and shit rolls downhill. Mm-hmm. There's three rules in the kitchen: the chef is always right. If you're not sure, refer to rule number one. And if the chef is wrong, refer to rule number one. So your head chef is pretty much a dictator of a kitchen. So if something like that gets passed out and sent back, it's going to start with the sous chef, the line cooks, the prep guy, and hell, the server might walk by at the wrong time and catch it too. Yeah, definitely the server got yelled at. Like I didn't send it back. Cause I just don't like to send anything back. Cause I don't want to be that complainer, like, you know, whatever. And I, and I don't judge a restaurant based on like one bad experience. Like I, I know people have a bad day. Just I, I'm a, I'm a kind of guy that like, I know stuff happens. Life happens. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm a forgiver, but if it happens like three times in a row, I'm out. But yep. in this case, it's a, it's a regular place. We go to a lot. I didn't send it back, but I probably should have, but I did tell the manager because we've gotten to know him. And I didn't complain about it. And I didn't want them to remove it from the, from the bill and like, you know, everything that they offered. I'm like, I'm not telling you because I want any special treatment. I just want you to know because I don't want this to happen to somebody else. But um, I probably should have let him send that back because I know the message got back there. Um, and, you know, what's funny is a lot of times uh, if food gets sent back and you hear if you're sitting close to the kitchen, you hear the chef let, say something like, let me see that goddamn plate or something. Mm-hmm. Most customers are going to think that the chef is questioning them. A lot of times it's the chef wants to actually see for himself what the problem was. So like that salad, the chef probably would have said, let me see that plate would have seen that. So because the chef, doesn't have time to stand there and watch every single person do every single little task. So when stuff like that gets out the window through the pass, that's when the chef is like, okay, he's taking that mental note. Hey, tomorrow I need to stop. I need to take five minutes to go watch Jim cut these cucumbers to make sure we get this right again. Because we are egomaniacs. We want everything to be perfect. We want everybody to love our food. It don't matter if you're working at IHOP or if you're working with Thomas Keller at the French Landry. We are egomaniacs. We want people to love us mm-hmm. and love our food. So, and there is a great sense of pride when something gets set back because it was cooked wrong or uh, in that case, there was vegetable that shouldn't have gone out and that it kicks us in the nuts. I mean, we, we, it, we will take one mistake like that and turn the whole night into a failure because of that one mistake. And honestly, that's what it felt like. Like I, I felt like by telling the manager that like the whole atmosphere of the restaurant changed, <laughs> like every, yeah, everything changed. Like I, I, it was palpable. You could feel it. Like, and I felt bad, but I'm like, they got to know. And it is one of those things. I mean, even if it makes you feel awkward, I guarantee that chef is going to be 10 times happier that you told him about it. And instead of waiting to find, obviously you want to do this, but a lot of people would, we just had this situation at my restaurant where 
Customer smiles to your face, says everything's fine, and then goes on to Yelp. And that's the first time you're hearing of this problem. See, that's a pet peeve of mine. I have a lot of pet peeves in life, and that's a pet peeve. If you can't have an honest and open conversation with somebody and like and say, look, this was a bad experience, and then it mirrors it on Yelp, okay, but at least you at least you had that conversation. Yeah, but if, if, if a you, lot of time, nine out of ten times, the waiter, the chef, and the owner is going to go out of the way to try to make it right for you because we understand. I mean, we're probably some of the poorest working people there is, so we understand if you're spending your money to come out and eat at our place, even if it's just a Tuesday afternoon, to us, we don't know if you're there celebrating your anniversary, you got a promotion, maybe you got some bad news, and you just want to be comforted. So for us, it's always – I know it's cliche, but it's special that you chose to come to us. So if we did something wrong, and this is speaking for the whole restaurant staff, not just on the kitchen, we're going to go out of our way to try to fix it. Maybe we just tell that server, hey, give that table away. Let a manager go over there. Let another server go over there because obviously there might be some bad blood. But we're going to still try to go out of our way to fix it if you tell us about it right then and there. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. I just feel guilty sending stuff back. I guess I need to, I mean, and that doesn't happen often, but I do like to have the conversation. But yeah, you're right. I would never leave a Yelp review that I haven't had a conversation with somebody about. And, and I've never had an issue where, and this is, this is my own uh, guilt, like you just said. You, you're very accurate in that. I've never had a bad experience with anybody um, when it comes to the food or the quality food being mad at me or retaliating, I just don't like to send it back. I feel guilty. I have had, I have had all out wars with servers. Like as a server, I have expect as a former server and somebody who does a lot of customer service in general, I have high expectations. Um, you know, just get the little things right. I can forgive like it's a busy night and you're not spending time kissing my butt. I don't want that anyway. I want to talk to my wife. I don't want to have, a, you know, the server come over 20 times and be like, is everything okay? Do you want more water? No, I don't want to have to break my conversation and do that. But, you know, there's certain things that I do want. Like timing should be done properly, I guess. But all right, I touched on that already. So anything else? um that you'd like to share with us tonight otherwise oh. i really appreciate your time yeah no just remember that you know when you do go out somewhere to eat that your your serving staff your kitchen staff they're people too we try to leave it all at the door but obviously anyone that's ever worked in life knows you can't always leave it at the door and tip your servers if you can't afford to go out and eat and leave a tip don't go out to eat and if you're interested in working in a kitchen, please, please, please go volunteer. Find a chef that you like. Spend a couple of shifts with him working and get your feet wet and just block out Food Network for the first three months that you're working <laughs> in a kitchen. Just block it out completely. And just keep your I, – I have a saying that a chef told me, keep your knife sharp your pan hot and cook on. And that's kind of what I've learned to deal with in my life. Sounds pretty accurate. I mean, with that, you can pretty much accomplish anything back there, right? I mean, you can't cook without a sharp knife. You can't cook without a warm pan, right? 
Yep, and you know, it's just know if you are going into the industry, it sucks. It's one of the most miserable jobs that you will ever love. That's what I, when I interview new people, I just had an 18 year old kid start with me right out of high school in the dish pit prep area. And that was the first thing I told him. I didn't try to lie to him. I said, this job's going to suck and either you'll hate it or you'll love it. And some of us just get addicted to it. It becomes a full on addiction. That's the adrenaline rush you described. I can see why. But yeah, that's. Pretty much my take on everything in the kitchen life in a wrapped up way. <laughs> no, I appreciate you taking the time and, and going through that with us. It's 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 nice to talk to people who are in there doing the tasks day to day because otherwise it's you're just you know, you, you have a perception being outside the bubble. You know, it's nice to go in the bubble and really talk about it. So sometimes I that bubble it. likes to, to fight back though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, sounds like you're doing all right up there. And, and uh, those of us uh, that don't live in, in a rural area, and, and I don't know why I'm calling Alaska rural. It's a freaking state. It's been a state for quite no, a while. Our biggest, city, our biggest city would be considered a town in many other states. How many people are in? Uh, that would be Anchorage, right? Yes. Uh, I believe we are under. Hey, hon, how many people are in Anchorage? About a little over a hundred thousand. About two hundred thousand. Yeah, that would be um, that would be a town. Our since you're Texas, this uh, what part of Texas I'm are in you in? I'm in Houston. Okay. Um, trying to think what's around there. I know, like, from my experience, if you've ever been in East Texas, like, uh, San Angelo mm -hmm. is about the size of Anchorage, to give it some comparison. Well, just to, just to give you a comparison, my neighborhood alone, just my, my developed community, my neighborhood, not, not – I actually live in Conroe, Texas, uh, which is north of, of Houston, and Conroe itself is – I think they just said we just hit 100,000. Uh, my neighborhood has 15,000 people in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's very interesting. And that's why, like, uh, for my podcast, I'm really excited for this summer because I'm going to be actually going out to some of the native villages. Oh, cool, dude. To shoot some episodes where in, the only way to get out to a lot of these places is uh, plane or boat. There's no highways. We have two highways in Alaska. We don't have a freeway. We have two highways. And uh, there's a lot of places you can only get to by plane or boat or train even. There's a whole community of people that live completely off the grid. And we are the only state that has a flag stop train service where you can walk out and put a flag up and the train will stop and pick you up. All right. That's pretty cool. Never knew that. <laughs> all right well i appreciate your time and sharing all that with us i'm gonna go look up a video of a flag stop i'm gonna google the hell out of that because i'm just curious to see it in action yeah it's it's really cool that was probably one of my favorite things of working on the train 
actually got to stay at last year about February, March. I stayed at a guy's uh, cabins he has out there that, yeah, you just tell the conductor where you want off. They stop the whole train. They let you off. And then, uh, like, we have a famous author that lives out there. We deliver groceries and mail to her, like, once a week on the train. It's like the world's biggest Uber Eats you've ever seen. Damn, that's that's cool, though. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, Alaska is its own beast. Huh. Well, I, I'm actually kind of – and I'll end with this because otherwise I'm going to keep talking about Alaska. But I'm actually kind of glad that it's not so developed. I mean, I feel like we ruin everything. I That is one of the things that drew me up here to it is you still have a lot of freedom to – do you up in Alaska because there's so much open space and the people are actually really open to new ideas up here too. It's kind of crazy. Hmm. Well, maybe you'll have to come on. We'll just talk about what life is like in Alaska because you've traveled around a lot. So there's that probably awesome a lot of, there's probably a lot of perceptions of Alaska. I'm sure I could go through them all. We've talked about a few. We should, we will, we'll have to, to work on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for being on the show. I hope um, everybody remembers. Can you remind everybody what the name of it, um, the podcast, your podcast is? 49th Meal. And we are on Facebook uh, on the 49th Meal podcast is the Facebook page. Awesome. So everybody go listen to that as well. Uh, Mitchell, thanks a lot for your time today. And everybody, you know how to get a hold of me. It's podcast at gmail.com. Or you can call the voicemail line at country code 1-585-210-0240. Why don't you all leave me your favorite restaurant stories, good or bad or ugly. Cool. Thanks again, uh, Mitchell, for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.